Good evening, and thank you for joining us this evening. As we have an opportunity to, to open God's Word and spend a little bit of time in Bible study and worship. And as we get started, I'd like to open us up in a word of prayer. Most gracious God, we just thank you for who you are. Dear God, we just thank you for your grace, thank you for your love, and thank you for your presence. Dear God, we may come to this time and have had a busy day or a chaotic day, or maybe we've had a relaxing day, but ever how we arrived, dear God, I just thank you that you have met us here this evening. Dear God, I pray that as we study, I pray that your name will be glorified above all, and that people will be drawn closer to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever found yourself watching, uh, maybe watching the news or or reading an article, or maybe you've even been in a conversation uh, with a friend or a family member, and you hear a story uh, or you hear an event that takes place, and you're only hearing one side of the story, or or maybe the picture that has been painted has left you wondering, there's just got to be more to the story than that. You know, I remember many years ago when I used to have a long commute back and forth to work, my, my trip home would find itself in, in the time slot where Paul Harvey would do his, his very famous rest of the story um, kind of snippet. And, and I always looked forward to that time because if you're not familiar with it, the whole, the whole premise of, of his uh, kind of of his story was that there would be a well-known person um, and he would tell a lot of information about something that maybe happened in their life or maybe it was a characteristic that was not normally talked about. And he would spend, you know, several minutes talking about this individual and, and the events that surrounded them. And then at the end of the time, he would, he would reveal who the, the person was. Um, and then he would always conclude it with, and now you know the rest of the story. And I remember always listening to that thinking, wow, I really did not know that. Um, so it kind, of, it kind of began to fill out more of the character and more of the um, persona of the person that, that he was talking about. And it really began to help you see all of the sides of the individual. Well, I would encourage you to, to make your way to Exodus chapter 14 this evening. Exodus is the second book in the Bible and the second book in the Old Testament. And as you're making your way to Exodus chapter 14, I kind of want to set the, the context of what we're talking about this evening and, uh, and kind of help bring us up to this point. It's a very familiar passage to us. Uh, the children of Israel had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. Um, God had sent the, the ten plagues to Pharaoh. Uh, And remember, Moses and Aaron had been sent to deliver the people out of Egypt. Uh, God had called Moses in the burning bush. um, And then Moses was talking with God and said, I'm not qualified. I can't speak really clearly. God said, "Okay, we'll bring your brother Aaron along with you. So Moses and Aaron have been in Egypt. They have uh, talked to Pharaoh, uh, trying to let him to, to let the people go. God had hardened Pharaoh's heart and ten plagues had had taken place. And when we come to chapter 14, they had just concluded the tenth plague, which was the the death of the firstborn son. And as the people are fleeing Egypt, uh, the 
the last plague, the, the 10th plague, as well as the kind of the, the birth of the Passover, the, the people are fleeing. The people are leaving Egypt. Again, this is a very familiar passage to us as the people leave Egypt. But I want us to look at a, a very key component of this particular passage um, that honestly I had overlooked. I've read this, this scene many, many times, but I actually overlooked this passage. And I was reading through this passage and I was like, how in the world could I have missed that? And I think it was because of the familiarity of the passage. So as you make your way to Exodus chapter 14, I really want to go back and pick up the last couple of verses of chapter 13, because verse 1 of chapter 14 begins with the word then, and I would really like for us to to go back up to 13 and, and hear the why of what is taking place in order to understand the then. I'm actually reading from the New Living Translation. It, it offers a nice readability of the passages. I normally teach out of uh, the New American Standard, but this evening I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So, in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse, verse 20, we read this. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud... And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by Pihaharoth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. Now, as we read through this this passage, one of the things that you're going to notice is the word Lord. The word Lord is in, is in all caps. And, uh, and that's an important distinction because when you see the word Lord in all caps, it's the covenant name of Yahweh uh, going all the way back to, to Genesis and Abraham. Uh, and this is a very important name uh, in, in the life of the children of Israel and in the life of, of Scripture in its entirety uh, because this is the all-consuming uh, name of God, the all-consuming characteristics of who God is. He is above everything. He is, he is, um, he is the I Am. Uh, so when you see that word, that's a very important uh, distinction to, to pick up on. So what we see taking place here is that God has given Moses some very specific instructions for their path out of Egypt. And I want to draw your attention to the second half of verse 4. The beginning of the verse echoes the theme that we've heard really throughout most of the book of Exodus, especially when we come to the ten plagues, and that is uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Now, before we get too far into this, we normally think of the crossing of the Red Sea as really the focal point of this passage. And that is a very important part of the passage. 
Uh, after all, it's, it's God delivering His people and God rescuing His people and the, the, uh, the preserving of His people. So, rightly so, the crossing of the Red Sea does, you know, gather most of our attention. But there's also a bigger picture that is playing out here. Weaved throughout this entire chapter, there's actually a bigger theme than just the deliverance of the children of Israel. And we begin to see that in verse 4. And we'll actually see that theme goes back much farther than that, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But in the second half of verse 4, we read this, and I want to read it again. Remember, this is the Lord speaking. He says this in the second half of verse 4. I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Hmm. Did you hear that? Now, this is what's really fascinating about Scripture. Turn back just a little bit to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, and I want to take you uh, to verse 5. Now, in Exodus chapter 7, uh, God has, uh, has given instructions to Moses and Aaron for how he's going to deliver his people out of Egypt as they get ready to go and approach Pharaoh. In Exodus chapter 7, in verse 5, we read this. When I raise my powerful hand, and this is the Lord speaking, when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Again, the Lord is in all caps. So what we hear going all the way back to Exodus chapter 7 is that God is set on making it known that He is the Lord. And we hear in verse 4 is that God's glory is going to be known. So God is telling Moses that there is no question who he is in the end of all of this. Remember that when God sent the ten plagues while they were in Egypt, each of them was an attack on the Egyptian gods. And if we were to read back through the ten plagues, we would hear God echo the phrase throughout all of that so that they'll know that I am the Lord. So back in Exodus 14.4, this deliverance and the use of Pharaoh is all about God's glory. Now we must remember that as God works in and through our lives, while there are times that we certainly experience a benefit from the way that He answers those prayers, it's not about us. It's all about Him and His glory. And as He works in and through us, we should take those opportunities to point people to the One who is doing the work. And that's God. So let's continue reading in Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 through 8. When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. What have we done? Letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. 
He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. After the children of Israel had fled Egypt, Pharaoh charged after them, just as God said he would. Not only did Pharaoh charge after them, but he brought with him 600 of the best in the army and began the hot pursuit. The best of the best is chasing after these lowly Israelites who are on foot. Now, I want you to notice, though, the end of verse 8. Did you catch it tucked away at the end of that verse? Let's read verse 8 again. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, now catch this, who left with fists raised in defiance. As the Israelites are fleeing Egypt, they are fleeing with confidence. They are fleeing with boldness. And you can hear it at the end of verse 8. Remember that as, as they are obeying God's commands and His directions, they are acting boldly. And that's a lesson for us, that as As we obey and when we obey God's leading, that is when we are acting in obedience to Him, we are going to step out boldly in the confidence that comes from Him. Now, verse 8 is positioned really nicely here for us because a transition begins to happen and, and that verse really kind of provides us with some transition information of, of what we're going to see next. So let's read verse 9. Verse 9 says, The Egyptians chased after them, that's the Israelites, with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Piharoth, across from Baal Zephon. Now you can hear the power that is coming after the Israelites. You can hear the ferociousness in Pharaoh's pursuit of them. You know, I'm kind of imagining if this is a movie, we're going to see the camera kind of zoomed in on the wheels of the chariots. You're going to see the smoke, the, the dust and the, the, the pebbles beginning to just kind of kick up as they're racing as fast as the horses will go. You can see the camera begin to kind of alternate between the wheels, Pharaoh's face, the, the horses bobbing up and down with their heads. Um, And the music beginning to intensify, beginning to build. You can just kind of see the, the, the dust and the sweat on Pharaoh's face and the intensity, kind of the gnarling image that he is having as he is pursuing these Israelites. You know, this being the best of the best of Pharaoh's army, it would be, almost be like, you know, the armored tanks of today pursuing after the Israelites or... Uh, you know, the, the quickest airplanes that exist, you know, racing after the enemy. Now, as we get to verses 10 through 12, keep in mind what we just read in verse 8. They were bold. They were confident until verse 10 through 12. And Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, looked up. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up. And panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord 
And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Now, wait a minute. In verse 9, didn't they just leave with defiance, with boldness, with confidence? But now we see nothing but sheer panic. So much so that not only are they complaining to Moses, but they, in fact, are actually complaining to the Lord. They even said, we told you so. And this is actually going back to Exodus chapter 5. When Moses begins the conversations with the Israelites and telling them what's going to happen as he goes to Pharaoh. But isn't that just like us, though? We take the first couple of steps in bold obedience. But when things begin to get a little difficult, we also start to panic. We begin to go back to our own vices. Or we begin to go back to our own how-tos instead of continuing the path that God has laid ahead of us. Because ultimately, oftentimes we say, well, at least we know what we had back there as opposed to following in obedience to the unknown that lies ahead. Uh, you've heard the phrase before, you know, trust the unknown to a known God. We must not forget the end of Exodus 13, though, where God had continued to demonstrate his presence in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Remember, let, let's re, read the end of that. And the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or fire from its place in front of the people. He was continuing to lead the people forward. You know, Pastor Chris did a message just a couple of weeks ago that was talking about you know, God leading us forward, the plans ahead, pursuing God in front of us, not looking behind us. God was still with them. God was still leading them. And God is with us. Even when the difficult things seem to be coming at us, God is still with us. God is still leading us. God is still directing us. Just because we face an obstacle or just because we face a difficulty or just because there is some unknown doesn't mean God has left us. Remember what we learned in verse 4. It's for His glory, not our comfort. I want to take you to a passage right quick in the book of Psalms. If you'll turn to Psalm 106. Psalm 106, and I want to read verses 7 and 8. Psalm 106, verses 7 and 8, read this. Our ancestors in Egypt, that's talking about the children of Israel that we're reading about right now. Our ancestors in Egypt were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. They soon forgot His many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against Him at the Red Sea. Remember, that's when the Egyptians were pursuing. That's what we're reading right now. Verse 8. Even so, he saved them. Catch it. Now read this. To defend the honor of his name. And to demonstrate his mighty power. To defend the honor of his name and to exhibit his power. 
God was at work the whole entire time, even in the midst of their panic and their, what we saw in Psalms, their rebellion against God. At a time when they felt like they were invincible, the enemy was approaching and ready to destroy them. Their confidence turned to panic. Their boldness turned to rebellion. Their focus went from following the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Their focus became on themselves. Their focus turned inward. Let's keep reading. Let's see what Moses does next in verses 13 and 14. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Now, these two verses are often quoted. And I would put these verses in the category of coffee cup verses or picture frame verses because you see these verses as, you know, these are verses to give us comfort and to give us peace. And they do. Because we we take great peace and we take great comfort in knowing that the Lord fights for us and the Lord goes ahead of us. And it's reassuring to know that the Lord's presence is with us in the midst of these battles. And and I love these verses, quite honestly, because they do bring me and give me comfort. And it's important to remember these verses in context. You see, we often want to stop at these verses. And we really don't want to read any more because we just say, Ah, I just need to sit still and let God work. And that is true at times. There are times where God wants us just to sit still and watch Him work. But we need to keep reading. We need to see what happens next. Verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff. Raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Now, between verses 14 and 15 and that transition, we really hear that Moses has been crying out to God. Moses has been praying to God. And why wouldn't he? I mean, there's a huge body of water in front of him. There's a lot of people that are fleeing the Egyptians. And those same Egyptians are in hot pursuit and catching them. So why would he not cry out to God? But God tells Moses that it's time to get moving. It's time to get up. God provides Moses with the plans for how they are going to be delivered. And boy, are they big plans. I mean, God tells Moses, this is what I want you to do. You are going to part this sea with your staff. We see that there's a time for prayer. And we see that there's a time for action. You see, we like to stay in the time for prayer. And it's really hard for us to transition into a time of action. Because a time of action means that we are going to have to totally depend and place our faith in Christ. And in the commands that God has laid before us. And oftentimes, actually most of the time, that's very difficult because we don't know what's going to happen. 
I mean, God told Moses to, to hold his staff up over the sea so that the water would part. That's pretty big and bold, and that's going to take a lot of faith, especially in the midst of the battle that's taking place. You can feel the scene gaining momentum. You can feel the, the, the tension beginning to build. But let's read verses 17 and 18. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And they will charge in, that's charging into the sea, after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. God tells Moses that the Israelites are going to cross the Red Sea on dry ground. And that the Egyptians are going to follow in after them. And then once again, the heart of Pharaoh is going to be hardened, which leads them to pursue the Israelites into the Red Sea. And that's really where we focus our time in this narrative. But did you hear it in the middle of verse 17? We heard the same thing that we read earlier in verse 4, before we ever got to the Red Sea. So with the Egyptians pursuing the Israelites into the Red Sea, we hear that in verse 17, that God's glory will be displayed through Pharaoh. And when it happens... Not only will God's glory be on display, but look at the end of verse 18. All of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. Does that sound familiar? You see, that goes back to Exodus chapter 7 that we read earlier before the ten plagues even hit. That they will know that I am the Lord. And as I said earlier, I'd read this passage I don't know how many times, and I don't know that I've ever seen that. I will harden the hearts of Pharaoh, the Egyptians, and they will charge in after you. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh, through the difficulty that is coming up on the Israelites. And when my glory is displayed, they will know that I am the Lord. Now, the remainder of this chapter are the events playing out just as God said they would right here. Moses raises his hand over the sea. The waters part. The Israelites cross over on dry ground. Pharaoh and his army pursue in after them. Moses raises his hand once again. God paralyzes the chariots and the Egyptians perish in the sea. Tucked into the narrative of the Egyptians trying to pursue the Israelites. And when the wheels literally begin to fall off of their plans, is something pretty significant. And I really don't want us to overlook it in the midst of, you know, the water parting and then the water coming back together. I don't want us to miss this. I want us to look at verse 19 and verse 25. Verse 19 reads this. (coughs) Excuse me. Then the angel of God 
who had been going before the camp of Israel. Remember, we saw that at the end of Exodus 13. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel no longer is in front of them, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and now stood behind them. And then verse 25. He, that's God, twisted their chariot wheels or he took them off, making their chariots difficult to drive. Remember, they're in the middle of the sea at this point, although it's on dry ground. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, as the water begins to kind of come and crush them. The Egyptians shouted, hear this, the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Isn't that what God said would happen? That they would know that He is the Lord? Notice in verse 25 how the word Lord is, is characterized. It's in all caps. It's the covenant name of God. It is the all-encompassing, all-powerful God. God was at work. Throughout the ten plagues, God was attacking the Egyptian gods. He was attacking the Egyptian financial system. And he was attacking the Egyptian pride. As historian Joshua Mark writes, Pharaoh was considered a divine ruler and was often viewed as God on earth and an intermediary between the Egyptian gods and the people. With the destruction of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army, God has demonstrated His power and authority as being supreme over everything. And in the words of God Himself, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. It took God removing everything within the Egyptian culture that they had placed as sacred, divine, and important before they realized that the Lord is the Lord. So I have to ask the question, are there things in our life that need to be removed for us to realize that the Lord is the Lord? You know, this, this scene plays out a long, long, long time ago. And we have to ask the question, why does this even matter to us today? Well, I think there's actually a couple lessons for us here in this narrative. We can certainly see God's power on display over everything. That was true during the time of Exodus, and that is true today. God's power should bring us comfort in knowing that there's nothing too big for God, and there's nothing that God cannot handle. God certainly demonstrated His power over, uh, over the nature with the parting of the Red Sea. And He certainly demonstrated His power over uh, a physical army in the Egyptians. But we can also see God's presence with His people. God was with His people while they were in Egypt. As they were leaving Egypt, and as the Egyptians were chasing after them, and when they, there seemed to be no hope at the Red Sea, God's presence never left them. Many of us wish we had 
a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire to lead us. But I want to take you back to verse 19. I really didn't talk much about it because I, want to save it. I wanted to save it for right now. In verse 19, we saw the angel of the Lord was with them. And this is thought to be a, what's called a Christophany, a, a physical presence of Christ on earth before He came to earth uh, as our atoning sacrifice. Remember in Exodus 13, the Lord went before them. Now here, notice what it says. It says, the angel of the Lord. It doesn't say an angel of the Lord. You see, after the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ here on earth, He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us for all of those who are redeemed and have entered into a personal relationship with Christ. Why is that even important? Here's why it's important. Just like the Israelites who had the pillar of cloud and fire to guide them, we too have the presence of God to guide our lives. No, it's not a pillar of fire going before us, but it's the Holy Spirit living within us to guide us. But here's the lesson that I think we often overlook the most. And it's found right here in this passage that we just looked at this evening. When we find ourselves in difficult situations or when we are facing challenging obstacles, we begin to lose perspective. Our focus, just like the children of Israel, begins to shift inward and it becomes about us. We must remember that we live in a fallen world and as a result of sin that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's when we find ourselves in these difficult situations and in, in confronting these challenging obstacles that we have an incredible opportunity to point people to Christ. It's when we're up against those challenging obstacles where God's glory is on display. Wrapped tightly within the glory of God is the grace of God. And that is Him giving us what we don't deserve. The biggest example of His grace was in the crucifixion of His Son, Jesus Christ, who came as a payment of our sin. I want to take you to the book of John in the New Testament. John chapter 12, and I want to read verses 27 and 28. You see, Jesus is getting ready for the crucifixion. There's just a very, very, very short time until He will be on the cross as a payment for our sin. If you remember, Jesus left His throne in heaven to come down to earth to live as a perfect example. He did not sin while He walked upon the earth and faced the same challenges and struggles that we ourselves face. Yet He did not sin. And He came as a payment of that sin. Our sin, the only payment for our sin is death. But Christ came as that payment of sin so that we may have eternal life. 
In John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, Jesus himself says this when talking about his crucifixion. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. The difficult situation that Christ was facing, the crucifixion, the torture that would come, the humiliation that would come, the separation at that moment in time where He took on our sin, the separation between Him and God the Father on that cross, the difficulty that that would cause. In verse 28, we find right here, Father, bring glory to Your name. The crucifixion of Christ brought glory to the name of God the Father. That is why Christ came as that payment to bring glory to God and to display His great grace. You see, when Christ came to die on the cross as that payment of sin, a way was made for us to have a personal relationship with Him. But you see, we have this this condition called sin, which is missing the mark that God has set for us. Nothing we can do can take that sin away. The payment of that sin is death. But Christ came and paid that payment for us, called the atoning sacrifice. The once and for all sacrifice of sin was made by Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, when Christ died on the cross, He not only took our sin, but He conquered death. He displayed that death through His resurrection three days later. Appearing to people on the earth, and then He ascended to heaven where He sits at the right hand of the Father. And Scripture tells us that He is interceding, or He is praying for us to God the Father. You see, salvation is made available to you and to me because of what Christ did on the cross. He was and is the redeeming sacrifice. But you see, we have to admit that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We have to confess those sins that separate us from God, saying, God, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know that you came from heaven to earth as that sacrifice. Dear God, I repent. I turn away from those things which separate me from you and I place my trust in you. And by doing that, we can enter into a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ. And when we enter that relationship, God's, the the third part of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives within us comes and lives within you, comes and lives within me, that guides us and helps us walk in the path that God commands. So I encourage you today, if you have not accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, don't delay. Make that decision right now. If you have entered in that relationship, but maybe you have fallen away from from living the life that, that Christ has commanded you to live, 
I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, repent of those sins. Turn away from those sins. Ask God to forgive you of those sins. And come back into close fellowship with Him. Today is the day to do that. Let's pray. Most gracious God, I thank You that in going all the way back to Exodus, we see Your glory on display. Dear God, I pray that our lives will reflect Your glory. I pray that our lives will point people to a relationship with You. I pray that our lives will lead people to a closer walk with You. Dear God, I pray that through our lives and through our relationship with You, Your glory will be on display and people will know that You are the Lord. Dear God, I pray that if there is anybody that is listening to this message that doesn't have a relationship with You, I pray that You will draw them to You and that they will come into that relationship. Dear God, I pray that if there are those listening that have strayed away from You, I pray that today is the day that they return that they come back into close fellowship with You. Dear God, I think that forgiveness is available to all because of Your Son, Jesus. I thank You that salvation is available to all that call on Your name because of the crucifixion of Jesus. Dear God, I thank You that redemption is available because of the crucifixion and the grace of Jesus. Dear God, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time that we've been able to share in it. May everything we do bring glory to your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for spending time with us. Have a great evening. God bless. And we'll see you next time.